1: Welcome to Friend of Maryland. My name is Kat Pauze, and this is a fat-friendly space. Today on Friend of Maryland, I share an upcoming NAFA webinar about Black and POC leadership in plus-size fashion. I chat with Nancy Ellis Orday about her work in eating disorders treatment and health at every size, and I spotlight a piece from Don Clark about having a doctor as an ally instead of an enemy. In the United States, February is, among other things, Black History Month, and I'm really pleased to see that NAFA is hosting a webinar on the 24th of February at 7 p.m. Eastern Eastern Time um, that is focusing on that. So the webinar is entitled Ahead of the Curve, and it is featuring uh, Chinese Lewis, hosted by Marcy Cruz. Uh, and the topic of the webinar is Black and POC Leadership in plus size fashion, uh, Chinese and Marcy will discuss how Black women and women of color pave the way in the fashion industry for plus size bodies to be in the forefront and continue to push for plus size exclusivity. So it looks like it's going to be a really cool, um, really cool webinar. Chinese has been my goodness, doing this work in in that area, um, I mean, for decades now, and I've been a, a big fan for quite a long time. So I'm excited about this webinar, a great opportunity um, to hear from some really interesting women who are leaders in their particular fields a bit more about understanding uh, the role that Black women and women of color have had in plus-size fashion. So definitely give it a check. Um, if you aren't able to go... In the real time, uh, which um, often happens to me, actually, so if they're scheduled earlier in the day in the United States, that means it's like overnight for me, Uh, but the webinar webinars, the NAFA webinars are recorded, so if you're not able to attend it on the 24th of February at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, you can check out the NAFA um, Facebook page or um, uh, other social media pages to find where you can get the video and watch it later. Today is Nancy Ellis Ordway, who's worked in the field of eating disorder treatment for 35 years. Nancy, thank you so much for coming on Friend of Maryland. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, Nancy, 35 years, it's a really long time, you know, to be a specialist yes, um, in your particular area. I mean, I'd be curious to know just really briefly, not necessarily what got you into the, the field, but like what's kept you there for such a long time? Um, I think part of what got me
2: interested in it is I've, I've just always been interested in the way people use food to do things in addition to just nourishing their bodies, the, the way it influences identity and belonging and community. And, and so it was sort of a natural thing for me to become interested in how people uh, use the, the restriction of food. Uh, to manage anxiety or trauma or whatever. And then once I got involved with it, it's fascinating. And then I became interested in the fact that really what's behind all of eating disorders is weight stigma, which affects pretty much everybody to be honest. And so that's become my passion over the last several years is working more from the, the idea of how does weight stigma negatively, <clears throat> negatively affect people? And what can I do about that?
1: I mean, those are definitely questions that can keep someone active in a field for a really oh, yeah. long time. I'm guessing you haven't quite worked out the answer yet, have you? Well, there, I don't think there is
2: one answer, right. but I think it's, uh, it's like, well, one of the things I talk about in my book at the very end is, is the idea of tugboats, that, that we can't all be great, big, majestic ocean liners, but the ocean liners can't, can't manipulate themselves when they come into shore. So they need the little tiny tugboats to just keep pushing and bumping and pushing and bumping to change their direction. And we can all be tugboats. So that's right. part of what I do, is I figure out what kind of tugboat moments can I make happen.
1: Okay, so ways to kind of maybe change people's perceptions, change their behaviors, pushing, nudging them and pushing them kind of in a, maybe a a different direction in in the way that they were going. And if we all do that, hopefully over time, all of society will change. You know, it's interesting, Nancy, because, you know, one of the things that I often have to remind people is that they're not born hating fatness. They're not born hating fat people. Like people are not born with anti-fat attitudes. And so just as they've learned them they can consciously unlearn them it just takes a whole lot of work and and, you know a real kind of commitment to to doing so and of course most people aren't really interested you know in 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 doing that work just as they're not interested in you know doing kind of anti-racist work or other type of kind of real you know allyship kind of work that they could um nancy you've got a couple of books don't you tell us about your books Uh, My first book, Thrive at Any
2: Weight, Eating to Nourish Body, Soul, and Self-Esteem, came out in 2019, right before the shutdown. Um, And it's just, it's really a compilation of what I've learned through the years of working with people with food and body image issues. Uh, I cover a lot of the, the basic research as to why weight loss doesn't work and why it's not a good idea to pursue it. But then also a lot of ideas of things that people can do in their own lives to make a difference in their own quality of life. Uh, and then I also have a couple of chapters on weight stigma, because like I said, that's kind of become my passion in the last decade or so. The second book uh, about weight bias in healthcare that I co-edited with Heather Brown uh, is a, a collection of chapters written by different people about well, weight bias in healthcare and what, what can be done about that? What kinds of things can people change, uh, to make, to make it easier, more to make healthcare more accessible for people. There are a lot of people who are afraid to go to the doctor because they're so afraid of being shamed about their body size. And that's, that's a terrible thing. And it has huge consequences for individuals and for society. So this was, um, a book that we put together to be used not only just for general uh, general public to read and understand about, but also to be used as an adjunct to uh, textbooks in um, like nursing programs or dietetics programs or social work programs uh, for new people coming into the field.
1: And I mean, Nancy, I think one of the things that I'm always a bit um, curious in, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot here and, you know, feel free to be like, I, I don't have to, you know, to answer this would take longer than the time we have. Like, feel free to just brush me off if you want. Um, the term weight stigma rather than fat stigma. I'm always just really curious why some people use one over the other. Like, can you speak to why you call it weight stigma when what we're talking about, at least from my perspective, is fat stigma? That's a really good question.
2: Nobody's ever asked me that before. I think I started using the term because other people were using the term and and my sense of it was, oh, finally there's a term for what I've been feeling and thinking about but didn't really know how to pinpoint. Um, I'm going to say probably the reason that a lot of us use the word weight stigma instead of fat stigma is because so many people have such an incredible knee-jerk negative reaction to the word fat Yeah, that, that uh, I've discovered. I do a lot of continuing education uh, programs as well. Um, as a way to kind of get some of this information out there. And I have to kind of ease people into it. I have to explain why I use the word fat because people get really upset about it sometimes.
1: So listen, you know, that it's, it's the other F word, a Like, (laughs) and I mean, without question, when I, you know, call myself that, not so much now, but like, especially when I first moved to New Zealand, like when I would call myself that mixed company, it's that collective gasp of air that like, You know, can you believe she just said that? Um, doubled with uh, and this still happens quite often now, that really quick reassurance that I'm not in fact fat, which um is a really silly thing because I'm not just like fat, I am like super fat. I'm like infinity fat. I am like fat fat. <laughs> um yeah, but 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 you're right in the sense of like I I came to understand that the reason people would be so quick. To like be like you're not fat you're not fat you're not fat is both their like visceral reaction to the word, um, but of course then coupled with what they think of when they think of that word and them not associating me with those things, um, you know, which is a useful tool then to get them to appreciate the relationship between those and how they need to, you know, quit making assumptions based on body size and stuff. No, I, you know, Nancy, I appreciate you even trying to answer that question. I've just, it is one of those ones that's kind of always top of mind for me. Every time I hear someone say weight stigma, my mind immediately goes, wait, you're talking about fat stigma. Like why not just call it fat stigma? Um, So I appreciate you, you know, venturing, giving it a guess. I think it's
2: also a little bit more inclusive to say weight stigma, because there are people who um, are, who who feel that they're being mistreated because they're too thin or uh, there are people who would be in what we consider a normal body weight range who still consider themselves to be too heavy um, or hear from other people that they're still too heavy. Uh, I just actually had a client this past week who was very upset about the change in the number on the scale and she's still still well within the low normal BMI range. If we were, if we were going to use that as a, as a measure that it isn't just about people who are in large bodies, it's about everybody.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I think like at least the last two examples you gave are also still fat stigma, like fat stigma impacts everybody, not just fat people. Um, and I guess for me, like, while I don't disagree that there are non-fat people who do experience body shame and, you know, oftentimes, you know, I'll get the person go, the thin person who's like, well, I get harassed to eat a hamburger and stuff. And I have to help them understand that them, that, you know, the, uh, the they've obviously experienced some kind of harassment or mistreatment or whatnot, but that's very different from this, from the stigma, the actual stigma that we associate with fatness, which I don't, I would say we don't associate, we don't apply any a stigma to any other weight other than fatness would be from my perspective. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally appreciate uh, your thinking on that. And I really do appreciate you even more acknowledge uh, engaging with me just on, <laughs> on, on the topic. Cause it is one that that rattles around in, in my own head. And Nancy, if people are keen to get um, your book thrive at any weight or your new book, uh, your new co-edited book, uh, weight bias and health education, Or if they just want to learn more about you or perhaps invite you in uh, to do some continuing education with, with one of their groups, how can they find you online? Like how can they reach out and make contact? I I have a
2: website. Um, If you just Google my name, Nancy Ellis Ordway, uh, it should take you to the website, which is for my, my private practice. I also have a Facebook page called Dr. Neo Uh, N-E-O, which my initials, Um, and I use that specifically to repost all of the great things that people post about uh, weight bias and about body positivity. And, um, you know, there was a really great article a couple of weeks ago about why you don't have to get weighed at the doctor's office. Um, Those sorts of articles I repost on Dr. Neo. And that's also hopefully a way for people to find other, other people they can follow um as a as more resources.
1: Fantastic,
0: Nancy.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been really delightful to chat with you and I'm uh will look forward to the next book uh or or co-edited book that that you produce. Okay. It was it was lovely to be here. I Today is a piece from Don Clark, published on the NAFA web blog on January 25th, 2022. It's entitled, How a Doctor's Allyship is Changing My Life. Quote, I fear the medical community. My weight is always the problem. Ear infection or tonsillitis? You're too fat. Sprained ankle? You need to exercise more. Annual checkup? You'll be dead by 30 if you don't lose weight. Medical avoidance was the norm after my teenage years. The loathing and judgment from medical systems was too much. Avoidance put me in the hospital twice. I could not bear the thought of going to the doctors. I would cry at the thought of it. If for some reason I had to go, the entire time was panic-inducing. Fast forward to 2020 and my 40s. I was a few years into learning about health at every size, weight bias, and fat liberation, I decided to take the leap and sought after a weight neutral doctor. After researching in my area, I found one. I called for an appointment and after a few months, I got an opening. I was nervous. My best friend drove me to the appointment. I had heard awful things about this particular medical service and wasn't sure I had made a good choice. In the first few minutes, an amazing thing happened. After hearing a brief history of my medical experiences, the doctor apologized. She apologized on behalf of all the terrible doctors I had seen. She said that those things should never have happened. I was in tears. She asked me what I felt needed addressing. We made lists. She said we could go as fast or slow on any or all of the concerns. She ordered all sorts of labs. She was thorough in a way that showed me how much she actually cared Even the most urgent issues were treated non-judgmentally. She let me drive the medication regime. Let me know if you feel it's too much or too hard, she said. We can always slow down. I made my follow-up appointment, got my labs done, and left. In the car, I broke down and cried again. That was the best doctor's appointment I ever had, I gushed to my friend the whole ride back to her house. In the months after that appointment, I was engaging with medical systems again. My doctor always encouraged me when she knew I had to see someone who was an unknown regarding weight-neutral care. She was very sympathetic when an invasive exam with another provider didn't go well. She has empowered me to be my own advocate, to speak up when bias are on display, to share about how we need to be treated by the entire medical system. I can honestly say that my life is better because of her and her fierce determination that every person deserves care. I still fear medical systems, but now I know I have an ally. End quote. Thanks for listening to another episode of Friend of Maryland. Friend of Maryland is brought to you by Two People's Radio, 999 AM. If you'd like to contact the show with questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for topics or guests, you can email us at friendofmarilyn at aool.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Closing the show is Lizzo with Good As Hell.
0: I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Head toss, check my nails. She The big fights, long nights that you been through I got a bottle of tequila, I've been was-